You're listening to the PR Wind Down Podcast, the show for public relations professionals who are ready to see real change in the PR industry. We are your hosts, April White and Laura Schooler. Let's get ready to wind down. It's a miracle. So, Laura, how's your week? It's only Monday. I don't know. I, I can't tell yet. <laughs> anything else new any any new fruit or uh restaurant obsessions i ate a pliable today no okay. oh last minute i went to see rage against the machine at madison square garden oh. out a ticket and i just walked into the box office the show was starting in an hour and i was like do you have any tickets? And they were like, in fact, we have an amazing seat for one person. And I just went by myself. It was great. Nice. That's yeah. It was awesome. And then my my high school boyfriend was there. Like I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. Like on, on Facebook, he was like, I'm in Madison Square Garden. I'm like, I'm here too. And so like, I met him in the hallway and we talked for like 20 minutes. He's there with his kids. And the woman I've been doing work with, like marketing work and communications work, she's like, I'm here too. <laughs> All these people, like the next day I posted a picture. They're like, I was here. I was there. I was, in the-. it was hilarious. It was amazing. Yeah, I'm a big fan. And then the next day I was at the Jersey Shore and everybody was talking about it. Oh, yeah, wow. it's, yeah, it's like one of those shows that people be like, were you, you were at that show? Oh my God. Everybody who's like 45 to 55 years old is like, oh my God, it was so great. But they really are great. If you're, I don't actually, I don't even care if you're not into like that level of heavy. They're so great. Well, good. <laughs> okay. Well, with that, should we jump into our PR news of the week or our anonymous PR horror story? I'm really going to let you drive the bus. Really? Mm-hmm. Let's jump into news. So, Cracker Barrel caused a stir recently with the plant-based sausage menu, and people were like, "Are you kidding me? What do you think your customer base is?" Right. <laughs> have you ever been to a Cracker Barrel? I have, indeed. Somebody are there a lot in Iowa? Is that why? Or uh, I don't remember if there are a lot in Iowa. I know there's at least one. I don't think I've ever even seen one. So, like, just to give you an idea, it's sort of like, it's like a diner chain definitely taken straight from Iowa. Like, meat and potatoes, mashed potatoes and gravy, chicken fried steak, pork chops, like, regular, very normal food. How does it stand out among the, I don't know, Applebee's and whatever's of the world? It's similar, although it's definitely meant to be more Middle America farm inspired. So it's like old antiques nailed all over the walls, and they have a bunch of, you know, like a giant gift shop in the beginning in the front, and every single one where they've got aprons and penny candy and those weird suckers that take 10 hours to (laughs) to suck down those like. Oh, those swirly lollipops. That stuff. It's definitely like not for anybody that's meat conscious or vegan or I mean even eating their gluten-free was not the easiest thing because they've got biscuits and like you know right. like that kind of 
hearts, right? So, so basically, they posted about a newer item on the menu, which sparked controversy with customers. They made impossible sausage from plants, even though the food was in select stores for a while. Oh, but they didn't like PR it or social media it yeah. until recently? Suddenly they discover new meat frontiers, experience the out-of-this-world flavor of impossible sausage made from plants next time you build your own breakfast, the Post wrote. And then they said they've been testing it in 50 restaurants and the item was now making its way to stores around the U.S. So they said in the Post, plant-based meat is becoming more popular as a great alternative for people trying to reduce their meat consumption. We want to make sure everybody feels welcome at our table. This means we're constantly on the lookout for new ways to make your experience with us even better. So we're especially excited about this news. And then somebody on Facebook wrote, are you kidding me? Who do you think your customer base is? I still order the double meat breakfast and it's not even on the menu anymore. Sausage cannot come from plants. Please Cracker Barrel, don't go the way of so many others recently. Sorry, but real country folk ain't going for this shit exclaimed another <laughs> and then somebody else wrote cracker Barrel isn't what it used to be they aren't the only chain gone downhill you lost your customer base congrats on being woke and going broke all the more reason to stop eating cracker barrel this is not what cracker barrel was supposed to be about like people were like <laughs> yes how dear cracker barrel offer menu options Right. Um, but this is still a problem like just don't order what you don't want to problem solve your life goes on right they're not becoming a vegetarian restaurant they're offering vegetarian or vegan options they're keeping the meat the thing that i bristled at when i saw it as a pr pro and writer is the trying to reduce your meat consumption boy because that implies that there's something positive about that that people should reduce their meat consumption like that is not the right message so for this type of restaurant right oh oh my god no i was like because they're basically telling no the midwest and whatever they should eat differently they're not eating right (laughs) and those people are like don't say san francisco get out of my kitchen or whatever okay thousand percent so it's one thing to just be like hey we're trying to offer options to be all inclusive right that's cool but the that post that's what that's what set people off oh as a midwestern native right my parents saw that they would be like how is this reduce meat consumption like our whole economy is based on pigs and corn and soybeans cows yeah i mean why would we want to, you know, help save animals and reduce, you know, the speed to climate change? Nobody needs to talk about that. Nobody. Right. So you can't put that value on those people. Uh-uh, no. Uh-uh. He might back off his health reasons, but we're also talking <clears throat> like a group of people that predominantly would eat Atkins. My, my dad did the Atkins diet. Like the people uh, all in meat. the Midwest that try to lose weight do an all meat diet. Like that. Right. That's the audience. That is who they just talk to. Like that. Trying to reduce your meat consumption. Like, have you- right. These people have a ranch and they've been, their family's been farming for 200 years. Exactly. I, I eat meat. I'm not, I'm not even close to being like a vegetarian. I maybe a little bit more try to be somewhat conscious of it, but not really. Yeah. However, I don't care. 
I probably shouldn't eat meat, but I get it. I'm not offended by those messages. So I do, from a PR perspective, I think that you hit on what the issue is. But the other thing is, from a PR perspective, whether they meant to do it or not, the fact that they're getting this much notice, like nationwide, it's major because nobody talks about Cracker Barrel out here in New York, right? Like you never seen one, you don't go to it. So they got a lot more traction. I mean, it made me wonder if they were pressured by Impossible Burger and the Impossible brand to do some sort of co-branding thing. Mm -hmm. Since that's what they're serving. Yeah, and then that's because they made such a big deal about it being Impossible Sausage. But right. it also made me think like, where are your social media people based? Because it doesn't sound like they understand Midwestern culture at all, which is another example of why it's so good to have people from diverse backgrounds. All over and geographies. And point of view and culture. And yeah. the, also the woke thing, like, I would have known if you posted that, those are the responses you would get. So it's right. like, you need to tap into somebody that under, at least even if they're not living there anymore, that would understand oh my god you can't say that right so but i guess my question is but do they really care are these people going to stop going yes yes because all the people that are anti-woke are like literally right. like I don't watch disney anymore i don't do like any company that has offended them on the woke spectrum they don't give their money to anymore they're like give me my 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 pillow and leave me alone yeah. and they tell each other i'm never eating there again and then all of a sudden those people don't go there anymore i wonder though if they opened up a new segment of a market that would have never gone there before because they think oh there's not going to be anything there for me and now there is because i think more and more people are you know trying to eat less meat even in those regions of the country maybe but like I said, it's, we're still talking to the swath of people that are doing Yeah, that. no, I 100% agree that that's, that that's an issue and that's the major part of this story, for sure. I'm just wondering if there's, first of all, like I said, the fact that they're getting talked about that much to begin with is sort of a big deal, right? So that's that's a sidebar. And another sidebar is, you know, maybe maybe some people who never would have gone there before are like, oh, I guess I could go there now. But I think it's a, in, in, infinitesimal compared to their primary audience. I agree with you. I'm just trying to see if there was any way to, you know, get uh, blood from the stone on this one. I do think it's just so funny. It's like, you know what, who, at the end of the day, who really cares? But everybody loves to bitch on social media. I mean, that's mostly what this is about, right? Everything is politicized. Everything every single freaking thing impossible sausage at cracker barrel means cracker barrel won't woke right like that like everything is freaking like a hair trigger for everybody anyway all right well after <laughs> after that upsetting revelation should we move on to anonymous peer horror story sure okay hi april and laura here is my humiliation I'm a senior manager at my current PR firm. That means I clean up a lot of messes with client interactions. Pretty good at this, mind you. I don't mind shielding the junior team from client wrath. Well, I failed at it last week. We had a client on the verge of quitting. We all felt it. He just wasn't happy with anything. From basic PR operations to the hours he got for the retainer to the fact that we use Zoom instead of Google Meet. One of the many critiques he had was over, quote, professionalism. Spark notes. 
A junior team member had two back-to-back screw-ups early in the account relationship. One, she misspelled sincerely in an email sign-off, and then she forgot to attach a file to an email for the client. These were careless mistakes that happened months ago. I talked to her about them, and every email has been perfect ever since. But to the client, he pegged all of us as, quote, sloppy from then on, among his other one-of-the-mill picky client complaints. So last week, he absolutely blew up on the team during a client call about the status of a byline draft he had failed to approve two weeks ago. I missed the call because I was picking my sick kid up from school, but when the team told me what happened, I called him directly from my cell in the car on my way home. I was already flustered from the day I'd had myself, you know, when my kid barfed on his teacher in the pandemic era. Oh, God. I thought I had smoothed things over pretty well. Then right before I hung up with the client, I said, great speaking to you, Bob. I love you. Talk to you again soon. Like I usually do with my family. I I tried to backpedal. I'm so sorry. I did not mean that. But he sat silently on the other line as I apologized. Then click, he hung up on me. The next day, he sent his notice. I love we're both completely speechless. I don't think we've ever been so Oh my God. I don't even know what to say. I mean, oh my God, it's such an easy mistake. I, I It's not that big a deal. It's way what if she, it's way better than if she was like, hey, F you, Bob. You know what I mean? Like Well, it depends on the personality too, right? There's certain clients where you could get by with that and just let it roll and not even apologize. Right. Because they could take it however they take it. I mean, lots of people, I'm very effusive. So if I said, I love you to a client, they'd probably be like, that's just April. Yeah. So if I um, said to a client that I love them, they would probably think that I was being sarcastic. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. I was just being myself. <laughs> right. So this, this is um, like a normal person who made a mistake and felt that they couldn't just roll over it. So that's embarrassing, but it's, so far from the worst thing or even a bad thing. So that client was looking for a reason to quit. And the fact that she said, I love you was not the reason why he left. So our writer of this letter should not feel badly that she was the cause. Yeah, agreed. In fact, maybe, you know, mother nature, the universe, whatever, sort of made her accidentally do that so they could once and for all get rid of this guy because he sounded horrible. Mm-hmm. So I think that you got off the hook without having to do very much, you know, ducking and dodging and manipulating, you know, like strategizing to get out of it. So lucky you. That's yeah. what I think. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, and it sounded like it wasn't repairable at a certain point. And I've had that happen where they just, it's just a client that doesn't forget and doesn't forgive. Right. And then, you know, they'll go on to another agency and it'll be the same thing. And then they'll just be like, oh, PR agencies are the worst. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like, actually, you're not approaching this in the right way. I mean, there shouldn't be mistakes like that, but people are human. And at the end of the day, people are going to make mistakes, you know? So I think I where our guest is uh, waiting for us. Let's let him in. Our guest today is Brendan Kumarasamy. He is the founder of Master Talk, and he's here to discuss best practices for honing your speaking skills and presentation techniques. 
thank you so much for joining us. We're thrilled to have you here. Of course, April Laura. Thanks so much for having me. It's good to be here. Yeah. So first of all, what are the top three mistakes that people tend to make when they're not trained when they go to present or speak? Absolutely. Let's start with the biggest one, which is they, <laughs> they forget to dream. You know, a lot of us, we dream about the expensive vacations we want to go on, the expensive things we want to buy. All of these amazing things, our health, our relationships. When was the last time we dreamed about our communication skills? And the answer for most of us, you two, is never. That's why the questions I always start with is how would your life change if you were an exceptional communicator? Because when we realize that communication is about leading impact, not a chore like doing the dishes, we take it more seriously. Mm. Wow. Yeah. I did not see well, that coming. I think, no, and that's amazing. But I do think as PR people, you do, well, you certainly think about it in your professional life, but then like you think about it enough in your personal life too, mm -hmm. right? Absolutely, yeah, Lauren. Um, I thought I thought he was gonna say when you got into the when you said dream, I thought where that was going was that you were gonna say you have to dream about what you want the outcome to be from whatever presentation you're giving or the or the the speech, right? Like imagine the impact that it could have and what that looks like. I thought that's where you're going is like vision board style. <laughs> I mean that works too, April, but I would say the the biggest miss. I think from other people in my industry, that's how I felt I had something to say in, in communication, is wait a second, let's forget about the presentations for a moment here. What about the way we talk to our families? What about the way that we order food at a restaurant? What about the way that we make new friends when we travel? Communication is about leading a more fulfilling life. Mm. But the education system has taught us that communication is a chore. Yeah, do all these presentations in high school and elementary school. And by the way, they're all mandatory. So nobody goes, hey, April, Laura, you want to get breakfast and present all day? Nobody says that. And then the second piece is all of them are different. It's not like, April, what are you passionate about? Spring? Are you passionate about the color white? Are you passionate about music? No, it's about uh, Shakespearean poetry and the history of Missouri. And you're like, I don't live in Missouri. But yeah, you got to do that. And then all those presentations are tied to a punishment. No wonder we grew up hating communication. No wonder the energy we have around it is so negative mm. when it could be positive. For sure. Yeah. Makes huh. a lot of sense. So what's the second biggest mistake? I would say that's the big one that encompasses all three. But if I had to pick two <laughs> other ones, I would say the second one is communication goal setting. A lot of us have goals with our health. We have goals with our relationships. We have goals for money. pretty money. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> or it's an important one. We don't really have goals with our communication. That's why we don't even know what we're targeting. And there's a reason, by the way. The reason is, what does being a great communicator even mean? Does it mean saying less followers? Does it mean speaking clearly? And then that's the follow-up question begs itself. What does speaking clearly even mean? Right? Mm -hmm. So when we have vague- so subjective. Right. So when we have vague targets, we get vague results. So what I really focus people to do is to create communication goals that are specific and tangible. Example, compare yourself to another speaker. For instance, I want Barack Obama's ability <laughs> to communicate to very well, right? With this voice projection. That's a very specific goal that you can measure yourself against. Very cool. I like that. And is what, there a third thing? Yeah. 
absolutely i'm sure there is so the the third one so make I would, it up what is it yeah there you go it's a part of Keenan i know Jake. i totally put him on the spot by the way it sounded like we had rehearsed this but we didn't i just threw him i just threw him in the deep end i was like make three up go it's all good it's all good april that's that's a part of the game it's part of podcasting so so if i had to pick a third one i would say the third one is very simple is that people who want to share an idea which would be most of us by the way, listening to this they don't have dinner with their audience they don't actually have dinner with the people they want to serve and when i say dinner april laura this is not an analogy oh like a zoom call no i mean actual dinner like three hour conversation with the people you want to serve and asking them questions like if you were in my shoes how would you communicate my ideas better if you had to change one thing about my speech what would you change and why and the third question my favorite if you had to introduce me to somebody who you feel would help me develop my ideas further, who would you introduce me to and why? These are the questions we don't quiz our audience enough on. And that's why we don't get a lot of great insights. Wow, we should have interviewed you a long time ago. Imagine how good we would be if we... (laughs) You you two have a life in front of you, don't worry. Are there any sort of like tips for how you can seem... Well, two things, tips for how to seem more organic when you already sort of know what you want to say and or ways to navigate an answer when you're caught off guard, like I did to you, like top three mistakes go. And you're like, you don't have them in front of you. What are like, what, how do you navigate those things? Uh, Absolutely, April. So, so let's simplify this. How do I say this? Communication is like juggling 18 balls at the same time, right? So one of them is body language. One of them is storytelling. One of them is looking into the eyes of the person you're speaking to. So you have to always switch it up. But the problem with most of us is that we try and juggle all 18. So instead, what we need to focus on is what I call my easy threes. What are the three easiest balls that we can juggle in the air that help us build momentum over time? So let's touch upon each, all of these. So the first one is called the random word exercise, because my perspective always is to prepare for the moment in advance so that those situations never occur. So number one is the random word exercise. Pick a random word like juice box, like wine, like PR like piano and create random presentations out of thin air. Why is this relevant? Because if you can make sense out of nonsense, you could make sense out of anything. And what I always recommend, especially for people who can't afford a coach, is do this with your friends and your family. So people who are parents listening to this, do this with your kids in the car. Instead of listening to music, do the random word exercise with the kids. Or if you're in the shower, you can do it then too, because you have 10, 15 minutes. So those are some examples. And both April and I have done improv, you know, like actual improv classes, you know, school. And I always say it's easier for me to do improv than it is to do like a planned five, 10 minute speech. Do you see that there's a difference that some people are good at one and some people are good at the other? Or is it really a learned thing in either case? Right. The way that I see this, Laura, is that by the great question, communication is a multiplier effect. So as one domino falls, the other dominoes follow. Example, if I tell you to smile more in an impromptu presentation or in a random presentation, right, you'll smile more naturally when you're having coffees with people, when you're doing different presentations. So in the same way, the random word exercise fits that bill, where if you can talk about mangoes and avocados, you go on a podcast, no one's going to ask you what your favorite fruit is. 
no one's going to come up to me and say, so Brendan, what's your favorite color? No, you're just going to ask me, you know, the top three mistakes that people make there's, but it's still related to my field. So those questions eventually become a joke. And that's the way that you want to practice is do the harder thing outside of the boardroom, outside of the work setting, outside of where it counts. So when it does count, well, it, it doesn't really count from a difficulty perspective. So you mean that it's it's sort of like doing reps or whatever, like you, you'll be able to bring it into wherever you need to in your work and your life, et cetera, if you're practicing on things that don't matter so much, you know, whenever you can? Well, yes, small correction. So I wouldn't say necessarily things that don't matter at all. I would say more in the sense of doing exercises that are infinitely harder than any situation you can ever be put towards at work. So for example, and this is one of my easy threes, let's go through the two other ones. Mm -hmm. The second one, which answers April's question, which is how did I navigate our first question without flinching too much, is what I call question drills. So question drills are simply this. We get asked questions all the time in our life, but most of us, April and Laura, are we're reactive to those questions. We wait for the question to appear and then we answer it. Example, a few years ago, when I started guesting on podcasts, I sucked at them. I remember some guy asked me once, he's like, where does the fear of communication come from? And I looked at him and I said, I don't know, man, Los Angeles, San Diego, you tell me. So I had no idea how to answer these questions, but I got more proactive. So every day for five minutes, team, I would ask myself one question about communication and I'd write the answer down. But I did that for years, meaning I've answered hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of questions Impossible. about communication. Right. Exactly. So you nobody's do it in... asking you something you haven't already asked yourself at this point. Correct. At, at this point, yeah, it's, it's pretty much that. So you've, I've gotten bulletproof, and that's something anyone can do with five minutes a day. And then the last easy three is video messages. Just pick five people you love the most. You guys can do this with each other and with Veronica in the back. Is, is send them video messages about how much you appreciate having them in your life. Simple. Oh, that's nice. So in our profession, we do a lot of media training to help prepare people to talk to reporters. Have you done that kind of thing too? Because it sounds very similar. It's similar. You're right. Media training, I mean, I don't want to give too much of a subjective opinion here. I think it's a little bit more boxed in the sense of you're in a specific situation. This is how the reporter is. Lots of makeup, lots of prep, lots of... For me, it's not as boxed the way that I train people. It's more, let me make your life a living hell. So when you go into any situation, whether it's media or anything, you just walk in there and you're, you're just chilling, basically. Right. That's, that's I mean, when we do it, we do ask our trainees hard questions, like the hardest, worst question that they don't want to answer. And we do those things so that when they go, you know, on a Zoom or on TV, it won't be the first time they heard that horrible question. And we've already given help them to what answer that they can give and get them comfortable saying it. And the other thing that reminded me of uh, media training is it doesn't matter what question you get asked really. Like what we tell people is that you have to have your messages and you need to know, you know, your subject matter, et cetera, and feel comfortable with it. And so no matter what question you get asked, you can answer it without sounding like a politician trying to dodge a question. Cause you know, you can't say no comment and you don't want to like answer a different question. You have to acknowledge the question and then learn how to sort of pivot and say something that's interesting enough that you redirect the reporter. Mm -hmm. So yep. what, so what do you do if clients get stage fright? Right. So the way that I do this, April, the way I think about this, one part of it is the mindset piece, right? Going back to how would your life change if you're an exceptional communicator? You know, I take that question super seriously. I have people reflect on it. 
sometimes they write an essay on it because it helps them focus on the the direction that they're going to which brings us to the other point having direction if you're focused on the next piece of homework you're not focused on the fear anymore right and the the third piece around fear is there's no real way to remove the fear of communication i think that's a false expectation to have there's always a level where we're going to be nervous and i'll give you the best one let's say we're having lunch and elon musk calls me and he says, hey, Brenda, I've been enjoying your YouTube videos. Good stuff, man. Can you coach me tomorrow? I'll pay you a million dollars. Would I shit my pants? Yeah, I would. Just because I've coached CEOs doesn't mean I'm not scared at some level. There's going to be fear. So the analogy that I teach clients that I think is relevant here is not to remove the fear, but rather see it like a boxing match where one side of the fear is the, is the fear, right? One side of the ring. And the other side of the ring is the message. And the goal is not for the fear to leave the ring, but rather make sure that when your message and your fear meet in the middle of that boxing match, that your message gets the knockout punch and wins the match. I love that. That's really cool. Amazing. This is super, super helpful. I've been asking you a ton of questions. Do you have any questions for us? I would say, you know, going back to what Laura was asking around media training, what do you think are the main differences between what I've shared and, and what you teach clients around media? What do you find are the stark differences? Because I'd love to learn. I don't do a lot of media. Yeah, it's a good one. I mean, I, the first thing that pops out at me with media training, it's less about improv and more about delivering all the key messages that you've developed on behalf of the client and their key differentiators to properly get the brand's message out, right? So it's a little bit less about being yourself, even though that has to kind of be in there too, but it's, it's a lot more about staying on task, making sure that you don't say anything that could potentially get you in trouble with, you know, either side of the side of the political aisle, you know, step in anything that could be culturally sensitive. So there are all these, you know, those kinds of things you just have to navigate. So if you stay on message is really the, the whole thing, right? Like here's your key messages, make sure you hit them and circle back if you missed one and go fill in behind it. So Laura, anything else that I missed that, that you think is kind of a key piece? Well, there? I think the thing that was um, interesting from what you were saying is the aspect of like, how can communications change your life? If you become a, you know, a better communicator, that was what I heard from you. And I kind of want to integrate that in media training. Cause I've never said that to anybody, but I think mm. that it would help to set a broader stage that we then narrow down for the specific purpose of, you know, the media interview that you have to do, but to get them thinking about like, if you become a better communicator in general, your life might improve in all aspects. Mm. And here's just one specific route we're going to take today. Yep. I love that. Yeah, I mean, that's great. What, so what are some of the answers that people give you when you ask them that? How do you think your life would improve if you had better communications? Love the follow-up, Laura. So everyone's very different. Because for some people, the versions of is a bit, it changes, which is how would the world change if you're an exceptional communicator, which doesn't apply to everybody. Right. And that's what I love about comms is everyone gives a very different answer. So some people say, get my next job promotion. Mm -hmm. Other people say, grow my sales in my business. But then there's other people who say, I want to be a better mother for my children. Hmm. And then somebody else says, I want to show my wife the world. And then I go, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, Brendan, you know, I'm not that great at English, but if I could get much better at English communication, I could try out my wife and she doesn't speak English that well, so I can translate for her and show the world. And I thought that was super awesome wow. of an answer. So everyone's very different. And then you have me who's like more like change the world kind of type answer. So it, vary, it varies a lot. 
but I feel the fascinating part of this question is once people find that seed that works for them, that's what motivates them to push through the fear around communication and actually mm-hmm. get the job done. So April, how would your world change with improved communications? I've always struggled with being honest about how I feel in the moment and even, you know, kind of getting that to a place where I can really clearly communicate. It's so funny because recently a friend of mine said to me, I discovered recently that I'm really good at saying a lot of words, but I'm not great at communicating. (laughs) And it was, it was in relationship to his boyfriend and it was like how they weren't communicating. So he's like, I do a lot of talking, but we're not communicating. So I think that's something that I struggle with a bit as well. So my personal relationships would just deepen and there'd be fewer conflicts, I think. Or fewer big conflicts because they get resolved in micro expressions instead of one big fight. Beautiful. What about you, Laura? What's what's your answer to the question? To win more arguments. (laughs) (laughs) I love the honesty, respect. I don't actually. I just I said that for April's benefit. Yeah, you don't feel like someone who gets to a lot of arguments. I don't know why. I just get that, I just get that sense from you, Laura. I, I think wrong. I want to, but I don't feel that I could communicate effectively enough to, to do so. So maybe I'm not lying. But the thing that I think is coming out in this and what April just said is, I think the reason why I'm not as good of a communicator as I would like to be, and probably many people, is you feel so vulnerable. That's the fear. That's the fear for me. Like, I know what I want to say. I know what I'm thinking, but I can't actually say that to this person. Yeah. Right. And I would say my response to that, that's why I, I like easy wins first. You know, a lot of the tips that we've talked about today aren't rocket science. Like, okay, pick a random word, send a video message to people that you love. And the reason why I go that route, Laura, is because I only have one intention today. And the intention is to do something that most people aren't doing right now, which is to just do communication, <laughs> to, to actually practice and to not worry about the hard conversation. Mm-hmm. I'll give you a specific example since April and, and yourself, Laura, talked a lot about the personal side of communication. Healthy boundary setting, right? How do you communicate boundaries? Most people suck at that. They yeah. say, I need more alone time, which is really stupid. Versus going, I want to spend 90 minutes of every morning reading a book because it matters to me to have a peace of mind and I'll show up better for a family. Mm-hmm. Way better. But what's nice about that boundary is it's not traumatic. Mm-hmm. It's not like I'm going to die. It's, hey, could I read a little bit more in the morning? And then we celebrate that. And more importantly, we reciprocate. So what's one boundary I can do for you? And then that's how you argue and you get better at it. Mm-hmm. In other words, if you don't argue over the small things, you'll mess up the big things every day of the week. So right. you need to start with the small things and get better over time and not worry about the vulnerability piece and all that craziness and the trauma and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's good. And it's so specific too, right? Then it's less offensive because it's like, what's, what does that mean? Personal time. Right. Am I in your business all day long? What do you, it leaves a lot of ambiguity. It's not as offensive. A breeding right? ground for fights, right? You got but it. But if you're like, Hey, I need 90 minutes to do this thing in the morning. Okay. Right. Then it's not nothing you can take personally. It's like, okay, cool. That person needs this thing. It's very clearly Absolutely. defined. Yeah. But then the other piece to that is celebrating that. So what people don't do with boundary setting is let's say I have a boundary with April and April respects the boundary. I respect her boundary. There's never like, Hey, April, by the way, I really appreciate you doing that for me. You're the best, right? There's none of that. So when you go to the harder pieces, Hey, we should move countries. The other person goes, F you. (laughs) 
<laughs> so yeah, there needs to be there needs to be a celebration and a. So you have to acknowledge it and be grateful for that and reciprocate. Mm-hmm. Hey, what's what's one what boundary, want? April, that that you'd love? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's that's how you. That's why me and my mom, my sister, we haven't argued in over a decade, right? Because those are those, and we all live together, and that's the game. You got to do a little bit, a little bit over time, so you don't have any problems in your relationships. I love that. I just talked to my cat about this. <laughs> You're so jokes, Laura. <laughs> I don't think she's kidding. I don't think she's kidding either. That's the funny part. <laughs> she's definitely going to talk to her cat about this. Maybe practice is in April instead, oh Laura. Start, start with oh her. Oh, my God. All right. Well, on that, on that note, where can people find you if they want more insights from you or they want you to come be their speaking coach and also maybe share a tiny bit in the, in the, this is like where you plug yourself. So if there's anything you want people to know about, you know, what the services you offer or how you work or whatever, feel free to, to go for it now. How to get in touch with you. Yeah. So all of those things. Well, first of all, this is such a fun conversation. Thanks for having me on. It's hilarious. So fun. Absolutely. So, so two ways to keep in touch. The first was definitely the YouTube channel. Just go to Master Talk in one where you'll have access to hundreds of free videos on how to communicate ideas effectively. And the second way to keep in touch is to attend one of my free workshops over Zoom. I do a free one that's live and interactive on communication, and you can register for that at rockstarcommunicator.com. I love that. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. I think this has been really insightful and helpful, and and I know I learned something personally. So. Perfect. Well, thanks. Thanks, everyone. April, Laura, Veronica, it's great to be on. Really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. All right, cool. All right, take it easy, team. Yeah, peace. That was really interesting. Yeah, it was. So keeping your inbox organized, including pitches and follow-up notes, what do you do? I'm, I'm not, I don't have some great system or anything. Um, I don't either, but partly because I now have an assistant to help me with that because I'm uh, spoiled. However, I know lots of people have folders and things like that and the breakout right. folders from there and they're able to, you know, keep track of, okay, here's the, you know, okay, clients. And then they have mm-hmm. sub subfolders for all of the clients and then subfolders for approvals and and on G- gmail you can color code each client with a different color i did that but i think people are probably way more in depth than i am with this kind of thing i feel like our show producer veronica has a system we should make her share with us the funny thing is is my email inbox is probably the least organized place because it's always moving things are always pending mid-conversation so I do the system through gmail that separates promotions and regular mail Mm -hmm. for promotions that catches all of my newsletters and things that I don't have to open right away but I'm going to need to refer to later a lot of that I use for show content and that sort of thing And then I keep my primary inbox at zero so that everything is red unless I'm not done with a conversation and I need to remind myself to come back to it. I do use folders so that I can archive like clients that weren't active anymore when I was working more heavily in PR or a podcast guest where the conversation is wrapped up. I archive those guys. And then separately, I will link to specific emails in my to-do list. So if an email is pertinent to an item on my to-do list that I need to get done, I will link that specific email and kind of use my to-do list as the master for keeping track of very important emails. 
So it's not a succinct system and it probably would be very confusing to anyone but me, but that's the way I do it. I feel like you could spend half your day trying to organize emails in your inbox and all of that. And so at what point do you stop organizing and trying to organize and do to-do lists and start actually doing the work? You know, like at what point does it become too much to be like organized over doing effective work? I think if you start putting more work into organization than you do the actual work, you've gone too far. I mean, if it's starting to cut into your productivity because you're so fastidious about how you're organizing things, then I think you right. need to so back keep, it off. So keep in mind, there's a search function, right? In inboxes that you can search for stuff, which saves you when maybe you haven't put it somewhere. Maybe it's just like, you know, a mile down in your inbox. You could still find it. You know, I'm a little bit ADD. I read all of my emails. I, you know, I see sometimes I see people with, you know, on their phones or whatever, and it's like they've got 897 unread texts or emails. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't. Like, I, everything has to be read and trashed or left alone or whatever. So I probably do a little too much of it, but I don't know how effective it is. So that's why I really try to not spend my life being organized because your whole life could, and you haven't actually done work. Yeah. And that's why you're lucky you have an assistant so that you can do work and not. Yeah. It's, I mean, it can be really time consuming if you end up getting very particular about organizing mm-hmm. things. It, it's good to stay organized. So you aren't without things, but yeah, I'm definitely one of those people that has always relied too heavily on searches because my brain will remember keywords. Yeah. And so as long as I can do that, I'm safe. It's just like, what was the name of that person that, oh yeah, Greg. When then it was Greg and ice cream or whatever right and then right like, oh, there it is yeah so as long as i can remember keywords to search for i'm okay so is anybody but, trained trained on this stuff though there's probably no uh-uh. right there's probably well, good like hints and tips and tricks but I, but i do have folders and i do file things and it's so funny because how often i actually go back and look in those folders it's so rare it's more of a superstition thing than an actual functional thing i think for me Yeah. Thank you so much for tuning in for the PR Wind Down podcast. Because it's awesome. Thank you to Brendan for joining us for a super interesting interview. Remember to submit your own agency stories and questions and to share a show with your friends and colleagues. If you subscribe and leave us a rating, it will help us reach new listeners like you. And if you have an anonymous PR horror story of your own, write it and send it to us and send it to the contact email in the episode notes below. Yes. Can't wait to wind down with you again next time. Absolutely. My pleasure. And I must say, both of your last names are pretty cool. You got like April White and Laura Schooler. I, was like, I kept thinking Thanks. about mine. It's like your school. White and Schooler. It's like a law firm or something like a TV. <laughs> I was thinking like you're schooling people, like slang. Like you're schooling people. Well, a... yeah. I That's think a that's a but. <laughs> Oh, oh, okay. So what's the miracle song? It's a miracle. <laughs> I can't do it. Yes, you can. <laughs> Look it up. I'm playing it over here. Oh my god, they're putting a floppy disk. There it goes. That's it. I heard it. It's your favorite new miracle. old song. Miracle. It's a miracle. You you should your band should do it. It's a miracle. <laughs>